All right, well, got a, a short word for us before we get into the cake auction um, that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. So, uh, you know, I was thinking when I heard that the cake auction was the week after Easter, I was like, bummer. It's a, it's a tough act to follow, you know? It's kind of like the, the climax of Christianity was last weekend. And then I come up, like, what do I speak on now? You know, uh, Easter's powerful, isn't it? You know, on, on Friday, we celebrate the death of Jesus, sin being defeated. Jesus, you know, taking on the sin of the world onto himself, and we can then be forgiven because of the death of Jesus. But it didn't end with the death, right? It, then three days later, resurrection, God says, okay, I'm going to give Jesus life again. So what we see is that death was then defeated. So in one weekend, sin and death are defeated. In terms of a weekend in the history of man, that's the big one, you know? That's what we celebrate. And, and, uh, and then I get to follow that here uh, with, with whatever I have to say. But interestingly enough, as I was reading the Gospels and I was reading about the resurrection this week, one thing I noticed, I just read through each of the gospel accounts of Jesus' death, resurrection, and it, what I thought was interesting was that none of the gospels end with the resurrection. You know, the, the climax, the, the greatest moment in history, and that is not the end of any of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, which I thought was really interesting. Instead, each one talks about him getting time with his disciples and giving them a specific challenge for the way that they're to live their life. And so today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that challenge that Jesus gives to his disciples and then to each one of us who believe in him. And that's, the challenge is this, to make disciples. Make disciples. I want to tell you a story about a few different men in my life who answered that challenge of Jesus in the way that they uh, discipled me. I want to tell you about Kevin, Warren, and Corey. All right, first with Kevin. I was a freshman in high school, and Kevin became our church's youth pastor. And I feel really bad for Kevin. Our, our youth group is really small, and I think he got excited when he came in. He was like, oh, I, I see potential in this kid. And then I never showed up, not once. In all four years did I show up for one youth group event. And I, so I feel bad for Kevin because I think he got excited about my life in, in my freshman year. But I, I just, you know, I had sports. Or honestly, I just wasn't interested at all in, in anything about Christianity. But Kevin, he still can just consistently, every few months, he'd reach out to me over my four years in high school. And he'd just say, hey, you want to grab breakfast? Just kind of keeping a connection with me. And so I remember one year when I was a junior, one day he, he took me out to breakfast before school. And he says, hey, Phil, guess what? I signed you up for this Christian leadership program. <laughs> and I was like, Kevin, bro, uh, I like, you know, sports, and that's all I like. I'm not interested in anything Christian, you know, especially a leadership program. What are you talking about? He was like, well, let me tell you more about it. At first, it's free. Okay, it's a month long, and it's free. You don't have to pay anything for it. I was like, okay, cool. I didn't have any money, so that sounds great. You go to Guatemala for a week. I was like, okay, it's getting better. And he's like, hey, and there's probably going to be like 15 to 20 girls there, okay, this whole month. <laughs> That you get to know. And I was like, okay, sign me up. I'll be there. <laughs> Turned out to be the most impactful uh, month of my life. And that's, that's when I 
became a follower of Jesus when I kind of said, okay, now I actually, you know, I'd heard about all these things about Jesus for years, but it's during that month that I significantly was like, oh my gosh, I want to follow this man. I want him to lead me for the rest of my life. It was a long story, but um, after that month, so I I came to know Jesus, and then then Kevin met with me then consistently for the next four years, because I went to school, I went to college around where I went to high school, and he met with me and consistently was just present with me. And, and when I had started having doubts or when I was starting to like, be like, oh, I don't really believe this, or he would be that rock that I would just come back to and say, he would just remind me of, of what I had committed to four years ago or, or, you know, whenever I went to that Compass program, it was called. So it was significant for my life. And Kevin, what I learned from him about discipleship was this, is that Kevin, I think he saw potential in a young freshman and then a sophomore, and then a junior, and he called me to something that was way bigger than, than myself, right? He called me to a relationship with Jesus. And so I love that, that what I learned from Kevin was that seeing, discipleship is seeing potential in someone and, and calling them into a relationship with Jesus. Second man who had significant impact on my life was a guy named Warren Shoemate. And Warren was a, uh, a senior lacrosse captain on uh, the lacrosse team at Gordon College that I played at for four years. So here I come in. I come in this, um, I'll just say it, overconfident freshman into this, on this team. And here, senior defenseman, all-star, you know, all-conference player for four years, best player on the team. And usually when uh, overconfident freshman comes in and meets the all-star senior defenseman, that's rarely a good mix, right? It weren't at all right to just kind of put me in my place from day one and just say, hey, go get the water, rookie, you know, or just to kind of ignore me and just say, hey, I'm going to play my own game. I'm not, I'm not worried about this kid. Instead, what was so significant about Warren in my life is he, the first week of school, he saw me and he said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? So I went over to dinner, and that started uh, for that whole entire year, almost weekly or every other week, I would go over and hang out with Warren, and he would teach me about all these stuff. He'd teach me about leadership what it means to be a captain. He would teach me about how to, you know, on, on and off the field, how to, how to live your life. Tell me about how to balance academics and athletics. Significant influence in my life. But then at the very end of the season, I remember Warren grabs me. He says, all right, bud, here's the deal. Now you go do this with others. And so every year, every subsequent year, my sophomore, junior, senior year, what I would do is I would choose one or two freshmen who came in on the team. And I'd say, hey, did the same, I, did the, I just copied what Warren did. Hey, come on over and join me for dinner. And I'd have him over to my apartment, and we'd go do dinner. And that started a relationship that whole year where I was just investing in the lives of underclassmen. What Warren taught me was that discipleship is about teaching others to then invest their, your life in others. So he invested in me, and then he said, now you go and do this with others. Final man who had significant impact on my life, a guy named Corey Wasson. How many of you guys know who Corey is? If you were in the training school the last couple of years, I've had him come in and teach and, and lead worship. Powerful, powerful man of God. When I was in, I lived in Morocco for two years. And during my like, last couple months there, Corey moved to Morocco to join a church planting team that was there. And it, have you ever met one of those people where like the first time you meet them, like you hang out and you're like, oh my gosh, like everything is in common. You know, like we, like fast friends like that. That's what happened between Corey and I. We were just like immediately like, oh, dude, I, 
you like that too? Let's talk about that. You hang, you know, just was an easy connection with Corey. But the most significant thing about Corey was when we would hang out, what he would consistently do is he would say, he would ask these probing, challenging questions about my walk with the Lord. And here's a tension of, of anybody who's doing missions overseas or anybody that's really in ministry. It's so easy to turn into doing ministry becomes like your work or you're like, hey, I have to do this because this is what I have to do, right? You become this worker. And Corey would always tell me this. He says, hey, Phil, guess what? A lover outworks a worker every time. A lover outworks a worker every time. So you just say, Phil, are you falling more in love with Jesus? Are you Because fa- if you fall more and more in love with Jesus, you'll actually do more work than, you'd w- than you would if you were just working for Jesus. And man, that challenged me. Every time I would just consistently ask myself, am I falling more in love with Jesus? Or am I just working more for him in whatever, the way I live my life? These three men influenced me in amazing ways, in deep ways. My walk with Jesus is different because of their investment in my life. Do you have stories of people who have discipled you, who have invested in your life, who have had impact on your life that's changed or changed your life at all or kind of drawn you more to be like Jesus? That's what we want to talk about this morning. Now I'm going to look at a familiar passage of the Bible. And there's always a, uh, there's always a hard thing about uh, doing a familiar passage in the Bible because it's so easy just to kind of say, uh, oh, I've heard this one. I got this. You know, or, or as I look out, I, I see the glaze. And you're like, what am I going to get at Chipotle pretty soon? <laughs> Should I get avocado or no? You know, that just, just starts going through your head. I'm going to say, hey, be with me here. And believe the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And actually, the word of God, whatever I just say, is going to be more impactful than anything that, that I say afterwards. Can we believe that? Okay, so here we go. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Just a little bit of context for this. very beginning of Matthew 28 is the resurrection. So Jesus is resurrected. And these two women, both named Mary, they run to the tomb. And they're like, they see that the, the, the stone is rolled away and that the tomb is empty. And they're like, what is going on? And then Jesus actually appears to them. And they start to talk. And Jesus tells them, he says, hey, Mary, Mary, go back to the disciples and tell them to meet me on the mountain in Galilee. That's what he tells them. So they, they run back, tell the disciples, and then we pick up the story in verse 16. So let me read it. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I just want to work through verse by verse and just pull out a few things I hope encourage us and challenge us. Look at verse 16. So then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
What I love about that is that it started with 11 men. This thing that we do today, you guys all being here, showing up this morning, my life following Jesus and my family following Jesus, it all started with 11 men close to 2,000 years ago. Isn't that wild? It started with 11 men who took on this challenge that Jesus gave them. And now today, we are reaping the benefits. You are reaping the benefits. Whether you believe this or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not today, you're reaping the benefits because you're here this morning with us, a a community of believers who believe in Jesus. It started with 11 men. Isn't that amazing, the legacy that just a few men can have? I'll say men and women. The men and women in this, in this city, what legacy are you going to leave afterwards? At the end of your life, as you look back, what are you gonna, what's going to be the trail of people who your name is going to be mentioned in their testimony? Just like Warren and Kevin and Corey were mentioned in I and mine. It started with 11 men 2,000 years ago. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What I love about the Bible is how honest it is. It does not kind of elevate uh, us at all. It elevates God and Jesus the entire way from Genesis to Revelation. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they are elevated high. But us, there's no elevation. It's just real about who we are. It's real about how kind of weak we are, how sinful we can be. And I actually love that about the Bible. It puts us in this just great place of saying, wow, even the original 11, they, some of them doubted Jesus, even though they spent time with him, even though they saw him risen, some of them doubted. I just love that. It, it just encourages me, Lord, in my weakness. Thank you, Lord, that even the original 11, they had doubts. Thank you, Jesus, that even in our weakness, right? Paul talks about even in our weakness, Jesus is made strong. He, he works through us. I just think the Bible is so beautiful in the way that, and just, I love that Matthew added them, but some doubted. Look at verse 18. I'm going to actually put 18 and 20. They're going to go together. I'm going to skip verse 19 and come back to it in a minute. Verse 18 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jump to verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is so significant. Jesus is just throwing down. He's like, I'm the stinking boss. Believe it. I'm the man. And I'm going to be with you always. I was trying to think of some easy, simple illustration. And and all I could think of was um, the way that my girls kind of look to me. I'm like Jesus to them in a lot of ways. No, uh, let, let's be serious. But, uh, it, but the, the, what, what happens is when I bring my girls into like a new situation or they meet new people, they, they're so scared and, and they, they cling to me. I just, I feel their little hands start to tense on my shoulder once they start seeing anybody they don't recognize. 
Fear starts creeping in on them. They're uncomfortable. They're scared. They're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And it's so different at home when it's just me and them. When I try to get a hug, you know, they stiff arm or or they just (laughs) straighten up their body so you barely can grab them, right? But once they're scared or uncomfortable or fear comes in, they look to who they know. They look to their authority. And they grab onto me. So I try to put them down. And, and so many times, I, I just did it this morning. We were up in the, it was so funny. My illustration is perfect in that it happened this morning. I put little Hannah down. Immediately she turns around and is like, no, 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 daddy, hold me. And she jumps back on my arms until finally she was comfortable. And then she ran. <laughs> I just think that's so significant. Don't we all need to be reminded that, hey, the authority is with us. You know, I was just thinking, my gosh, some of the things that we ask you to do or the Bible tells you to do or, or, you know, some of these things that Jesus has called us to, they're kind of scary things. You know, it's like, hey, go and share about me with other people. One of the hardest things for me to do is to share my faith with someone, either people I know or I don't know. Another thing that's really hard for me to do is if a good friend of mine or someone is doing something I know they shouldn't be doing, it's so hard for me to actually tell them that because I'm worried I'm going to offend them, even though me and them probably know that they shouldn't be doing it, right? It's so hard for me to even have the confidence in myself. I'm talking about discipleship, but it's hard for me to have confidence to say, hey, am I even worthy to, to ask people, if, can I disciple you? Can I, can I meet with you? Can I invest in your life? Sometimes I'm just so self-conscious. I'm like, I'm not, you know, why would they want to meet with me? I just think, does anybody else have any of those kind of resonate with those things? Man, we just need to be reminded. It's like we can look over our shoulder. It's like, oh, Jesus is there. All authority is there. Okay, I'm good to go. You're right here with me? Okay, I'm good to go. We need to be reminded of that, though. Because so easy, so often do we forget that. And so often do we not actually walk out in the things that we should be doing because we're afraid, scared, or uncomfortable. We're not reminded that Jesus, all authority, the boss, is right there with us. These verses sandwich the main verse that I want to focus on this morning. And it's significant that they do sandwich it because it holds the challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples. And also holds the, maybe the hardest thing that he's called us to do. And that's to make disciples. I think Jesus knew what he was doing when he said, all authority has been given to me. I will be with you always. Now go and do this. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Most significant phrase of all time is seven words. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. This, in a phrase, is the number one purpose of our lives. This is the greatest calling that we can have as humans, is to make disciples. Obeying this is the greatest way that you can spend your life. It is the natural response to believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's, hey, I believe sin is 
done and I'm forgiven. I believe that Jesus was raised to the dead and now I have eternal life with him. And now I get to actually go and tell other people and tell other people that, hey, it's worth it to live and be like Jesus. It's worth it to live like he did. That's what making disciples is. It's the most adventurous and fulfilling thing you can do with your life. More than getting married, although I'm so thankful I'm married to Leslie. More than having children, although they're the joy of my life. More than traveling all around the world, and we get to do that. I'm going to Cambodia this summer, and I love it. More than having an amazing job and an amazing career, although I have an amazing job, and I love this church, and I love working for this church. More than any of these things, making disciples should be our first priority. And those are not mutually exclusive Those are not mutually exclusive things to have career and family and kids and all this stuff. I have all those things. But is your priority, is the way that you, the lens that you view life, is the way that you make decisions first and foremost saying, hey, what will best enable me to make disciples of all nations? Or is it, hey, I need to have a a wife or a husband or kids or what's the lens that you first evaluate life through? I pray and hope, and my, I was thinking of desired outcomes. I was just listing them in my heads after, after you know, I, I speak today, is that people, you, myself, we would get excited, and we would, we would take up the challenge of making disciples. I really believe that at the end of our life, when we look back at life, the most fulfilling thing will be to see the people that we had influence over, that we, that we led to Jesus or that we encouraged in their walk with Jesus. One of the verses that I, I'm memorizing right now that's, that encourages me like crazy is 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. He spent three weeks in Thessaloniki had this, shared the gospel, started, a couple people believed, and then he was kicked out by the Jews. And now he's writing this letter back to them. So he's writing to a few believers, the church in, in Thessalonia, Thessaloniki. And he says this, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. It will be the people who you have discipled that will be your joy and your glory one day. It's people, it's relationships, it's people that you've invested your life in. I will be the joy and the glory of Corey, Warren, and Kevin one day. They're going to look back. I don't know how it's all going to work in heaven, but I think we're going to be able to look back and see what significant relationships we had in the way that we invested in people's lives. And Jesus is going to be like, that's your joy here. You get to have joy in those people. So what do we do with this? Go and make disciples of all nations. What do we see discipleship as? It's simple. It's just helping another person walk in, in Jesus' ways or obey the things that he taught. And then to tell them to go and do it likewise. Do it with other people. Go and disciple others. It's just like Kevin with me. It's, it's seeing people and saying, hey, I see potential in you guys. 
I'm looking at this front row right here. I see potential in you. You're worth investing in. Each one of your lives, you are worth it. It's like Warren did with me. He said, hey, but it's worth investing in your life, but I see you investing in other people's lives. That's worth it. It's worth it to disciple others. Or it's like Corey. Hey, a lover outworks a worker every time. Are you falling more in love with Jesus? Are you obeying his commands more and more? That's what discipleship is doing. So here's my challenge, my exhortation. It's this. We just had in the training school a month ago, we had someone come in and teach on discipleship. And he had this powerful question at the very end of his teaching. So I'm going to pass it on to all you guys. It's very simple. All he asks is this. Hey, who are the one to three people who you are discipling? Who are the one to three people who you can identify as people saying, hey, I'm investing my life in these one to three people. Who are they? And asking God and saying, if, hey, you, you might go tonight or whenever the next time you have kind of some space to just, you know, think and ask God, for, you know, just to pray or whatever. And you just ask God, hey, God, who are the one to three people you want me to be investing in? Many of you already are. Praise the Lord. Way to go. You're making disciples. Many of you might say, hey, I have space in my life, or I want to do this. I'm getting fired up about discipleship and answering the challenge of Jesus. Then ask him, hey, who are one to three people who I can invest my life in? It might be a daunting thing. And so if you go out and you're like, yes, I want to I I meet with these people. I want to invest my life in these people. Okay, great. A very practical next step would be then to talk to either a life group leader, me as the young adult, Ron Goode and John Clark and Kendra with the families, or Bree with the college students, and just say, hey, what are some practicals? Like, what, what should I be doing? You know, some, sometimes the hardest thing about discipleship is not even knowing what we're doing. It's a very practical step. Just go, hey, if you're getting fired up, and I hope you are, go and talk to one of us, and hopefully we can give some practicals. Second thing is, Hey, we're recruiting for next year's class for Antioch Discipleship School. And it's spending a year of learning about this stuff. Spending a year saying, hey, I, I want to invest a year of my life to really grow in these areas. Ask God if this, that's the right next step for you to, to do the training school next year. I'm going to close our time in prayer. And I just... Again, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. Again, part of one of the strongest aspects of Antioch, the church movement that we're a part of, is that we believe so strongly in discipleship. We believe so strongly in, in making disciples of all nations. And so I just pray that we, as Antioch Community Church of Greater Boston, would continue to carry that DNA that's so deeply in us that we would be ones who do that in our city, in our colleges, amongst our young adults, and our families. So join me as I pray for us. Father, we want to be, we want to answer the challenge that Jesus, you gave to your disciples. Lord, make make it clear in our minds how we can do that, how we can make disciples, how we can invest our life in other people, how how we can encourage people to walk and obey your teachings and to live like you did. So Lord, Bring your, just talk to each one of us, Lord, in a way, and just say, hey, these are the people who I'd like you to invest in.
May we be as Antioch. May we be a, a movement of churches in the Boston area that, that do discipleship well. Help us, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we are going to, this is a, a bit of a transition time. We don't have much of a kind of a typical response at the end of our service. We usually do worship at the end and have a time of response for a couple songs. But because of the cake auction, that's kind of what our transition is going to be. So we have, uh, again, this is a, a once a year fundraiser that we do for all of our missions trips in the summer. And we have two trips that we're going to be supporting. One is a trip to Cambodia, and we're going to join Amy Miller. Amy Miller is a missionary who we sent out a year ago. She's in Cambodia doing a church planting, and she believes that the sex slave trade will be eradicated in Cambodia, and she wants to be a part of that. So she's doing both of those things, and so we're going as part of our CFTS class is going to Cambodia, and we're going to support her work, sharing the gospel, meeting with these women who are in the sex slave trade, and hopefully connecting her so that she can make disciples there. Second trip that we're doing is a young adult trip, and part of our class, our CFDS class, is also going on this trip too. We're taking the young adults to Detroit, Michigan for a week in July. That's going to be led by Whitney Nasland and Kenna Mena. And this is going to be a powerful trip. We're going to join the Ann Arbor Church Plant, who Ann Arbor, Michigan, is looking to plant a church in Detroit. And we're going to go, we're just saying basically, hey, we want to serve you guys. We've, we haven't done a young adult trip. We did one last summer. We went to Germany. This year we were like, hey, let's go serve one of our church plants right here in America. So if that's something that's interesting to you, Kenna and Whitney will be up in the lobby area or just grab them and say, hey, I'm interested to hear more about what this trip is. We'd love for you guys to come and join that. So right now, how we're going to do it is this. We have about a five-minute timer, Okay. Uh, and, and we're going to put that up. If you are a parent with children, this would be a great time to go and grab your children and bring them right back down. Otherwise, if you are staying around for the cake auction, stay here. If you need to leave, bless you, all right? Otherwise, in five minutes, we're going to be starting the cake auction, so stick around and move on up. You don't need to put away the chairs. Have a blessed day, guys. Love you.